Hello, and welcome to episode eight of The Linsider. I'm very happy to be back with you, and this week I have an amazing guest. Her name is Amy Huang, and she is a VC with her own fund. She is the founder and GP of Archana Capital Partners, and I wanted to have Amy on the show because she is an amazing storyteller, and in listening to this interview, you will understand why storytelling is interdisciplinary and why I believe storytelling is so important in every industry and in every aspect. And before we get to the episode, I also have a few announcements. My first announcement is I want to really thank a few supporters. I started this podcast just for fun. And also I had a mission. I wanted to showcase who I thought were voices that were underrepresented that needed to be heard. And recently I was so lucky to have people that have supported me, not just following on social media, but I want to give a huge shout out to folks that have donated and bought me coffee on the buy me coffee link that I have that you'll see in the show notes. So I really want to thank Masumi and Kenny Liu. I also want to thank Jin Guan for their really generous contributions. I'm just floored. And I was so moved when I saw their contributions. Speaking of that, the next announcement I want to make is that this Saturday, May 1st at 7 p.m., I am going to have a conversation with the nonprofit group Chinese in Entertainment. They're a great group that is run by Jin Guan. And we're going to talk about entertainment from a cross-cultural and interdisciplinary perspective. I have the link to register for this event in the show notes. So if you're interested, please click on that link and register. It's again, Saturday, May 1st, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then another announcement I want to make is that this week I started reading this book. This book is called The Beautiful Country and the Middle Kingdom, America and China, 1776 to the Present. It is by John Pomfret. And this book has really amazing reviews. It's got five and a half stars on Amazon. It has on Goodreads 4.26 rating, which I think is really high. And for those that are interested in understanding a little bit more about the historical context and the relationship between America and China, and not just about how the countries interact with each other, but how they've used and leveraged each other 
and also how the citizens of each country have really been had to really endure hardships, especially on the China's Chinese side. And I think it's a really interesting book that captures history that is relevant to today. So I'll link this book also in the show notes. I highly recommend that you check it out. It is really enlightening and for me something that is really important. And on that, before we get to the interview and the show with Amy Huang, I want to thank you all for listening in. This is now getting to the close of month two, doing one episode a week. It's a good amount of work, but I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for your support. Please follow on social media, DM me, let me know what your thoughts are about the show. I'd love to hear from you. And the email, if you want to send me an email, is thelinsidershow at gmail.com. So yeah, and um, on social media, do follow me. And at some point next month in May, I'm going to do a giveaway. So it'll be a little bit of a surprise, but I guarantee you it'll be worth it. Yeah. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Amy Wong of our China Capital Partners. Amy Huang, welcome to The Linsider. I am so happy to have you here today. Amy, you and I know each other from business school, and that is going back to 2010. Can you believe it's been 10 years now? Over 10 years. Thanks for coming on The Linsider. Thank you for the invitation. This is my <laughs> first time on a recorded <laughs> line for anything. Okay, good. Get used to it. You're going to be a you're going to be a powerful figure. That was the last time when I called United Airlines to complain, they're like, "You may be recorded for winning and quality purpose." <laughs> what did you teach them that day? Don't fuck with Asian Americans. <laughs> there you I'm, go. Not true. Uh, I'm not American, so don't fuck with Asians. Don't fuck with Asians. Yeah. So for folks who don't know, because I'm still kind of. This podcast is very new; just started last month. So I discuss the entertainment industry from a cross-cultural and interdisciplinary perspective. So Amy, you even asked me this: why, what, why are you here on my podcast? And for several reasons. First of all, I find you funny, engaging, entertaining. You're a great storyteller. We'll talk about your comedy, amateur、um, stand-up comedian skills. But also, I think that entertainment and storytelling, especially in a cross-cultural perspective, really is interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary. And the fact that you work in VC, like capital runs companies, capital moves these projects, stories. We were also just talking, like before I hit record, about how shaping the narrative and the story from an entrepreneur's perspective is really important to. Gain investors to gain market、um, share and etc. And then also from your perspective as a VC, you also need a story to tell. So I'm really interested 
and diving into all of this, you know, in our kind of the hour that we have here. Maybe just to start, can you tell us about who you are and kind of what you do, and especially from the perspective of your company? I'm Amy Huang. My identity is Jason's friend. There you go. <laughs> well, Love that. Um, I'm a venture capitalist. I run a firm named Archina Capital Partners. Wait, how do you pronounce that again? Called Archina Capital Partners. Interesting. Uh, I saw the I saw the name of it, and I was wondering how to pronounce it. And my business partner came up with this English, and I came with a Chinese name. I don't like the English name. <laughs> Wait, say it, say People that again. always mispronounce it, and also we saw we tried to bridge American and Chinese from a capital perspective. Okay. And he didn't. He hasn't lived in America for so long that he didn't know that Chinese money wasn't really welcome. So I let it go with it because I'm like it's a. It's a good storytelling. They were like, "How the hell you came up with that lame ass name?" And I can say something. And I fund companies that are truly revolutionary and can solve uh, problems on a global scale. And the uh, founders have the uh, have the ambition to make it a global company. So in general, and so far, my sweet spot has been. The intersection between software and hardware. So okay. some some of my companies I'm very proud of include Luminar Technologies that went public last year. Thank you, Carbon 3D, which is going public either Q4 this year or Q1 next year.、Mm -hmm. um, I have another great company called Bright. It's a smart bed that we think. Can change the way we sleep forever. So I'm really excited for all these companies. I love that. And so, how many companies do you have in your portfolio? Around? Can you say? I don't make investments in the pace that a lot of the other VCs do. So I have a very concentrated portfolio. So on my myself, I make no more than one or two deals per year. I、mm. love, but. I don't because I would rather put a lot of money in companies that I believe in and keep on investing than spread myself too thin. Because for what I do, I do a lot of work post investment. So the the level of involvement that I have doesn't really allow me to have too many companies in my.、Mm. That's great. Talk about that a little bit. Can you just pick you know one of your companies? Because and talk about the story of the company. Because in the few times that we've caught up since graduation, and when you talk about your companies, I always think they're so fascinating. So, just pick one of the companies, and can you tell us a little bit about them? Ah,、uh, sure. I would tell you Luminar Technologies. This is a shirt I'm wearing. This is an IPO shirt that they give to、uh, employees.、Mm -hmm. I'm sort of an honorary employee because I, I think I help them a lot. They believe so too. At least they tell me so. And、uh, the company was founded by a gentleman named Austin Russell. He, at that time, was dropped out of Stanford to join Teal Fellowship. It was、mm -hmm. a fellowship 
founded by the famous Peter Thiel. His thesis is that college isn't for everyone. If you are a truly a builder, an inventor, an exceptional business person, it may not necessarily serve you well because you are wasting time. Therefore, he created this scholarship fellowship. Uh, to in twenty starting twenty eleven, he picked twenty people from all over the world to drop out of college and fund uh, found their own company. So Austin Russell was last European. Oh, he got a hundred thousand dollars to start to kickstart this business, and he's been a big.、Um, Fan of laser,、um, very fascinated by laser since he was a child, and、uh, so he dropped out of Stanford because probably he thought that there it's not the best use of his time just to go to class and do homework.、Uh, he would rather spend it on building the company. So he started the business in 2013, I believe. And now they went public, and they, he hired a bunch of really, really brilliant people to help him. Jason Eisenholtz, who is his、uh, co-founder and CTO, he was Austin's mentor. He joined the company, I think, in twenty twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, and then they started the R and D center in Orlando. Jason was instrumental in, in building that. So so far, the company has. 400 employees in pretty much all over the world. We have people in East Coast, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, in Colorado, in Detroit. We have people in Germany, in Israel. We we're currently hiring people in China as well.、Hmm. Uh, so it's fascinating to see a young man grow from somebody who's I've never seen him comb his hair to, according to Forbes. The youngest self-made billionaire ever in human history, and also employee employs over four hundred people, creating so many great job opportunities and serving companies all over the world. So their customers include Volvo, Daimler Trucks, Saic, which is the biggest OEM in China,、hmm. and Mobile Eye, and we just announced Airbus yesterday. I saw that. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, one second here. Yeah, let me show you something really cool. I forgot to do this. This is a latest Forbes、uh, billionaire issue. Okay. Whoa! These are the Winklevoss twins. Yeah. Right. And this one. And this is Austin Russell. Yep, I like that. Yeah, amazing.、Uh, he has so he has a good PR I, team. I told you I never seen him comb his hair. There. Right now, his hair stylist and basically his stylist is Madonna's personal stylist. I knew you were gonna say some something like that. I was expecting like Kanye or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't、That's、he look good here? 
I would have to say so. I would say you did a good job with the PR. He has a good PR firm working. Yeah. Jack Ma says, or Tai Wenshan, I forgot which one, says money is man's best makeup. <laughs> mm. I mean, that is certainly, is there's some truth to that. There's definitely yeah. some truth to that. And what does the company do? They make LiDAR system for uh -huh. autonomous driving. We eventually want to do the whole perception system. That's our roadmap. But right now we're, we're a LiDAR-centric company. So LiDAR stands for light detection and ranging. It is the crown jewel of, of the sensor systems. Because right now the Tesla systems use millimeter radar plus cameras. But as you can see from so many fatal accident, uh, accidents, that that's not enough. The, it's not about working 99% of the scenarios, which it probably does. It's about 99 point, so many nines after the decimal point. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's critical to have LiDAR because camera using the current algorithm, it doesn't give you the exact, the exact location of objects around you. It may be right. some centimeters off or some meters off, but we give you exactly the real information without any error. That's amazing. And what was it about this company that gave you the confidence to make this type of investment? So I was introduced by a girl named Daniel and a guy named Mike. So they have a fund named 1517. So I was their LP because I just really liked them. Mm. And also I told them, I gave you guys money because you guys have the ugliest PowerPoint presentation of your fund. It, it's true because when people don't realize that, you have to think contrarily because mm. if, if your PowerPoint looks too good, it, it probably means you've been through those rigorous Goldman or Morgan Stanley training of how to make uh, PowerPoint nice. And mm -hmm. therefore you will suffer from something called groupthink because if you mm -hmm. go to the same school and work in the same analyst class of some prestigious bank or consulting firm, what do you know that your classmate don't know, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're hanging out with all the same circle, but these two people are, they used to run the TO fellowship and they actually recruited Austin Russell. So I was introduced by them. I remember the first time meeting Austin at that time, I didn't really know what LIDAR was, mm -hmm. but he was so impressive. There's something about him that made me think whatever he's going to build, it's going to be massively successful because this guy is just so special. Mm. So what was that specifically? Was it the way he spoke or what? It's, I can't put word on it. Just mm. I think it's, it's a spark in his eyes when he was talking about it. It's very different than others and the passion and the fact that he gave up study in a prestigious organization. Mm. Uh, to pursue this and the fact that he he's he's a fingernail was very long it has like dirt inside it means he doesn't care about other human stuff and this mm. is this sounds more like a at that time a lot of people may think it's a, a wonder 
child prodigies science project in a garage. Mm-hmm. But it actually, I believe it's not just a science project. I believe it's something that can change the way we live forever. Mm. I just believe in that. I even said to him, whenever, whatever you are selling or you're making, it's going to be the best. If you're making toilet paper, it's going to be the best toilet paper in the world. Yeah, it's one of those moments. You don't meet people like that very often. When you meet that mm. person, you sort of, you sort of just know it's, I think the love at first sight is a fairly accurate description mm-hmm. when it comes to relationship with entrepreneur and an investor. Mm. He's just so special. I love all of that that you said, because even as you were telling that story, it reminds me of like a aviator, like the Howard Hughes movie. Yeah. Like dirty fingernails and like his kind of not carrying that contrarian aspect of it. So I love how you describe it. And I think this perfectly exemplifies why I wanted to talk to you. And then from your standpoint, what is it that you do as a VC to convince these entrepreneurs to partner with you? Because in the Valley, let me take a a step back. Mm -hmm. It comes, when it comes to Sino-American relationship, we have many years of up and down history, right? The relationship was fairly good during the Second World War when Mm -hmm. Chiang Kai-shek was the president and he has a very charming wife who went to Wellesley, who came to U.S. Congress to give a speech. Very famous. Yes, to give speeches about the, the war in China. And every time... She spoke, U.S. donated a lot of money to mm-hmm. China. Yep. Um, so that ended after the Communist Party took over, right? Then we didn't talk for a, a few decades until China's relationship with Soviet Union started to become more, started to become colder when Khrushchev was uh, the president of Russia. And then Henry Kissinger saw this dynamic change and realized that your enemy's enemy is actually your friend, Mm. potentially. So he reached out to China and then later Nixon uh, visited China together with him again. And our premier, Zhou Enlai, even greeted them at the airport, which was a very big gesture for China. Mm -hmm. And then Mao received them in his personal library. So those are good times. And then it started to become very good. And even I think the turning point was that in LA Olympics, Soviet said, yes. I'm not gonna participate. And China actually said, ah, we, we're going. Yep. Uh, so that was a moment, a very monumental period for China-American relationship. And then when, then in the nineties during Clinton's time, China joined WTO. That was mm-hmm. a turning point for our economic growth. So then the world didn't know how fast China could grow. So as and Trump as a nationalist tried to win some uh, votes and said, we want to 
we want to fuck with China because they're yep. too powerful. We don't want our superpower status to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Therefore, because the firm, our firm was started in 2015. So oh, Trump, wow. Trump became president in 2016. And then the Americans, and that, at that time, we were like, we don't want Chinese money because you probably heard some of the stories about a lot of Chinese background funds with Chinese background decided to exit mm-hmm. America. Uh, and then my partner and I have discussion. And my stance is that this is good for us because if all of these uh, companies' funds that were backed by Chinese money, they, they quit. When we stay, we will be the only firm in the Valley that actually have Chinese connection, which I think it's, I don't believe yep. history. It's like, it's like a, a pendulum swing. Yep. We're actually in terms of Sino-American relationship, we're like on one end of the pendulum. It's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. At one point it's going to start to turn. Yep. So, so I tell that story to entrepreneur I say, Hey, you know, if you want Chinese connection, we're like one of the field firms who can, who can help you. We have real mm-hmm. connections. So the interesting thing is when I first met Luminar, I, I'm like, this guy is so great. How am I going to persuade him to take my money? Yeah. And he turned out to be from a fairly wealthy family. These, when you have a founder like that, they don't really need the money at the yeah. beginning when the valuation was very low because they were like, I can just self-fund or mm-hmm. ask family for money. And then eventually uh, when I grow the company to a certain scale, I'm going to raise money at a higher valuation. But you want to get in early because I, I know this, this guy is going to be very successful. So I'm strategically, because we're not a known firm and I'm not known either because my background is always been in finance, not in venture capital, but more on the public market side. That pretty much doesn't do well for helping him. But so then I realized a book that I read called Give and Take. (laughs) Uh, The great Adam Grant. You're really- That's my one regret at Wharton is that I didn't take his class. I took another negotiations class. Diamond, right? No, I took it from Andrew Brandt, who was like an NFL negotiator. Oh, that's great. He ran, he ran the Green Bay Packers. So it was a good, good class, but not as cool as Adam Grant, I don't think. He wasn't that famous. He uh, was not. Cool. And then now he's- He was not. Now he's a rock star. Writer, yeah. Yeah. So the book, Give and Take, made me realize that if you are a, a giver and if you meet other givers or meet matchers, you're going to get something in return. Not that you're, you do that just to, just to get something in return. I think right. it's not transactional. Give her a relationship, reality, which that helped me a lot. And then I'm like, he's such a great entrepreneur and he's doing things that can change my life. Cause all of my friends know that I hate driving. I'm terrible at it. It took me three times to pass a DMV test, which oh, is no. the morons. So he, so I'm like, if, if this works out, I don't need to drive anymore, which mm. I should just help him for that reason. 
So I helped mm-hmm. to bring on some potential investors and customers. And then he, then I talked to him. I'm like, hey, can you just accept like this small check from me, <laughs> please? And then he, he, he agreed. So he took my first check is only a million dollars. So yeah, mm-hmm. and I was so happy. Only that's pretty big. Oh no, no. It, I want to put as much as possible. I want to put my, I want to like put my house on <laughs> loan money for a home equity loan and put right. it, <laughs> my husband wouldn't want me. So he, for like, at what, what, what's, what series was that? That's a lot, right? That was seed. That was seed. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it was really like a good life-changing moment for me. I know it back then, like, sure. though he's, he's still fairly early in the company mm-hmm. and, and it just, this thing, it's so far from commercialization, but I just know, mm. I just know that the moment he accept my check, it's going to be pretty good. So mm. I'm also very grateful for the fact that he is not a taker. <laughs> mm. If it's a taker, he's like, yeah, I deserve your help, whatever. Everyone want to help me. Um, right. He doesn't think like that. Mm. Oh, that's, I haven't heard that perspective before in terms of making a investment decision or partnering with the entrepreneur, but I think that makes so much sense. I've obviously read the book before and you try to apply it, but I think there's a lot more takers in this world than there are givers and so oh, I, I would cool. say majority of the people would be matchers oh interesting okay i would say but i may be wrong i would say also for people that come from money they were born into money mm-hmm. uh, there would be more takers because because you that, maybe that's what i'm yeah yeah because because you are your family has so much power there were people like who just you just get stuff right and you think things come to you you deserve it yeah because you deserve it i definitely don't believe that because when i was young everybody in china was poor (laughs) yeah so let's talk about a little bit about that we know what you do now we know your investment philosophy we know a company that you worked with tell us a little bit about your background like even going i'm i'm always interested in learning the origin story so as much as you want to share, I want to hear about it. I was born in, and raised in a city named Zhengzhou in central China. It's, it's a very large railway uh, hub. It uh, used to be the, the former longest railway from east to west and the longest from north to south. They cross in my hometown. Wow. And railway. You're like the heartland. You're like Iowa or something. Yeah. Sort of, except we don't have that. If you look, what is Denjo, what is Denjo you, known for? Look at the the map. Yeah. Before the reform and opening up, you would mm-hmm. think this is the most wealthy place in China, mm. because it's transportation wise, it's so important. However, it isn't. It's actually economically pretty lagging, mm-hmm. uh, historically, just because I think the government are fairly corrupted. It's mm. known for having fairly corrupted government mm. um, back then. So, and then growing up, I remember going to, cause I was born 
born in the 80s. And、uh, at that time, the coastal city, some of the coastal city、mm-hmm. already had reform and opening up, but it didn't hit my province yet. So I remember going, growing up, we, when you buy food, not only you have to pay money, but you have to pay food stamp,、mm-hmm. which is a way to ration people. It's not just for like food stamp in America is for people below certain income level. In California,、yeah. they have something called CalFresh. But when I was growing up, that's for everyone. It doesn't、yeah. matter whether you're just a regular citizen or government official. Everybody needs to use both money and stamp. You have yeah, to. Yes, a way of rationing. Yeah, if you, have, if you want to buy TV, you have a TV coupon or、yeah. TV stamp, food, food stamp. So, yeah, because I, I don't think people in coastal cities have this kind of experience. So, then after I think I, I was like in middle school, we started, I started seeing kids wearing clothes that were imported、mm-hmm. and or, or their parents were. Stationed overseas for some SOE and they get clothes from overseas.、Mm. Uh, so that was fairly fascinating for me. And there was one kid in my middle school. I've only seen one person in my entire middle school with braces. It was considered a, a huge luxury. Yeah. I, there is nobody in my high school that h a v e braces. And he's, there's one kid, he's, I remember his dad. Or for an SOE, they stationed him in, in Pakistan. He had braces. We actually made fun of him for having braces. But now I think about it, it's a luxury symbol because it costs a lot of money. We're like, how much did it cost? And after he said how much it cost, we're like, that's my, what my dad makes for a year.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have like that. Yeah, it's very different. So my family were mostly. Hospital administrators that used to run it. It's currently the he retired, he used to run the、uh, Henan Cancer Hospital. It's currently the biggest cancer hospital in the world. Your dad, yeah, but he's retired.、Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of my family members work in the hospital、uh, system, and I've seen extreme poverty and extreme misery.、Mm-hmm. Uh, Because we all live near the hospital. There is、mm-hmm. one community built that everybody who l i v e in that community, because it's, it's the hospital subsidized housing, and we all know one another. And we walk, it's like the hospital is, is a, a block away. So I always go there to see my family or our neighbors and kids. And I've seen like, Really messed up stuff when、mm-hmm. it's just by looking at people walking around. And、uh, yeah, it was, it, it sort of made me believe that we have a lot of poverty around our outside of our little community.、Mm-hmm. It sort of made me have more compassion. Yeah.、Uh, I think that was a good side education that I received outside of the school. And then after high school, A lot of our high school classmates wanted to go to Beijing because that's where the capital is, and they view this is、uh, where opportunities lie. And、sure. for me, I really like Cantonese music <laughs> when, I, 
when I was young, I like Anita Moy, like those people. So, and、uh, my mom spent part of his, her childhood in Guangdong,、mm. and、uh, so I decided I don't want to go to Beijing. I want to go south. So I got into Sun Yat-sen University, which is、uh, the best university in South China. And、mm-hmm. I, I don't study anything. At least I learn Cantonese, so I can sing those songs and watch Stephen Chow movies. He was my childhood idol, Stephen Chow. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out to be a, a fairly useful language、mm-hmm. in、sure. America because most、mm-hmm. of the early immigrants are Cantonese speakers.、Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure for you, as a someone from Zhengzhou, they're not expecting you to know Cantonese. So、it's like yeah, at least like you can talk shit at me. It's it's a not really hard to pick up. I think I picked up within a month. Yeah,、less. I think you just have to be. Yeah, but you have to be immersed in it, right? And you have to really try. Like all、you、your friends speaking Cantonese, and you watch some TVB TV series. Yeah, drama,、uh, yeah. really quickly. Yeah. yeah, and you just have to have the balls to speak it, right? And to not be afraid to sound stupid for like the first month. Yeah. And they call like women like me baku, meaning like a women from the north. <laughs> baku beiku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> baku almost sounds like even cooler. It sounds like almost like a superhero or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that should be the title of your next. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Funded by me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um. Baku. <laughs> I mean, talk a little bit about that because I mean that's where I saw you know your connection with entertainment. Because even from my memories of you from school, you were doing stand-up comedy, right? And that is for me was really cool to see that because here is someone from China doing stand-up comedy, and you were doing it before it was cool, right?、Before、yeah. Na- now there's a trend. Big. Now there's a trend, but you were doing it back then, like more than ten years ago.、So、yeah. Talk about just some of your early memories of entertainment. It seemed like that really formed you, and and like talk about some of your. You mentioned some of your favorite actors. You mentioned your Cantonese music. What were what what do you have memories of? Like what was that first movie or first movies or first you know celebrity at movie actor who had that impact on you when you were a kid? What were your favorite things? My favorite. Actor is by far Stephen Chow, but that was、mm. like a little later. I I think I was like in a higher higher grade of elementary school. Okay. Because back then the the TV industry was because remember I'm from a landlocked city with a corrupted government, and we didn't have the fancy、uh, stuff from、mm-hmm. Hong Kong, Taiwan, or America until later. Mm-hmm. I remember the when I was very young, I, I went to the cinema with my family to watch Sound of Music. That was a really, really fascinating experience for me. Wow! With all the music, I feel like that's why I, I think that was the moment when I decided musical was the best form of movie. So so far, my favorite movies are still musicals. Yeah, My Fair Lady, Chicago, Rent, and I just it's a it's a way to. Give you sort of pure joy when your life is sort of boring and not、uh, non-eventful. I think that's、right. why、uh, Bollywood was such a big deal because India has a 
very large impoverished population and yeah. they live their lives in slums and they don't have running water or a flush toilet and they watch those music musicals the bollywood movie are mostly musicals i think yeah. um, and they have so many beautiful colors of their dresses and their dancing and all love story it creates a fantasy in your head for two hours uh, when you don't have to think about the homework and other stuff that you're yeah. doing that are not so pleasant to think about so mm. then but for domestic entertainment i always like xiangsheng it's a mm. duo and a comedy in china and also i like xiaopian it's sort of like snl style sketch uh, comedy oh. that's sort of it's not live. One of my favorite, I, I, I really like the female comedians. Yeah. Uh, they're more talented, like Song Dan Dan and uh, Cai Ming. Yeah. Uh, you know Song Dan Dan? Well, that's, she related, isn't she related to Chloe Zhao? Yes. She is a stepmother of yeah. Chloe. Yeah. That was so cool, right? Yeah. Like, uh, they were really trailblazing. You grew up watching. I just think... My my dad's side of the family were like more like laissez-faire kind of way to raise kids. Mm -hmm. But my mom's side, she's from a very prominent family mm -hmm. and before Cultural Revolution, obviously. And they always say, oh, you're laughing too loud. Like a girl shouldn't sit that way. And like, I don't like them. I like my dad's side of the family. So sure. um, because I, I like watching... Uh, Cai Ming and Song Dan Dan made me think that women can be funnier than men. And because these are the probably the only two women that are funny. There are a lot of guys that are funny. Mm. Um, so then in terms of popularity, were they as popular? They were very popular. Yeah. Uh too. Because yeah. you have to have both men and yep. women in yeah. a in a show. They were just so talented. Song Dan Dan is, I think she's a best of all of them um mm. such a good actress and her timing and her just facial expression everything was just perfect mm -hmm. um, so that's why i found it very odd to watch her in house of flying daggers because she played you know she played a, a a small role in house of flying daggers and i just which, find it very fun is it you is it the Oh, no, I have to watch it. I know I, I watched it a long time ago, but I'm gonna guess. Is it the there's this one character? She's like this. I want to say like something ant, like a number yeah, of ants. Is, uh, Play that one. Yeah, yeah. So no I wonder because I you know what? Very hard to watch her in that setting. Even, even going very. I know nothing about this. You just connected it today. I watched yeah. House of Flying Tigers back when it came out in China. I went to see it, and when I saw her come on Song Dan Dan come on I laughed because I was like it's so because it's... she's com comical right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I do find it very hard to watch her in that movie because she it played was role. So I had both reactions I laughed because Even of her watching her I did and that's why yeah. this so but also in that movie how they used her was happened. so awkward was so odd yeah uh so but then, she was so she was so she 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 made you laugh just by in that role just just by appearing on screen all the muscle memory of being funny for decades and then you can't not be funny 
anymore, right? So after uh, when I was in higher grade, so my dad's hospital somehow had uh, satellite TV. So then we the movies and TV shows from Hong Kong and Taiwan. I think my dad's hospital was like the only the only one in our neighborhood. I have like elementary school friends, and they come to my home to watch TV because they don't have that. Right. Uh, So I remember, and we also have like the movies, rental movies from Hong Kong too. Starting at that time, they're all pirated, Mm -hmm. and watched some police movies in Hong Kong, Fei Fu Doi, and uh, I really like Sandra M. You know Sandro, hmm? no. Guan Yu. Okay. Oh, yeah. You don't know her? No, I have to look this up. Wu Junru. She played a. I probably the won, face won an Academy Award in Hong Kong playing a golden chicken. She played a prostitute. Okay. It was. She's a brilliant. So I really, really like her. It's the same way I like Sung Dan Dan and Tai Ming.、Mm. She's even more dramatic than them.、Mm. Mm. You know who Sandra's husband is? Who? Chen Keqing. Oh, oh, then I know. Yeah, I, I just don't know the name. Like, yeah, I've met them. Yeah, yeah, she's so funny. She, she is a great, she is a great actress. I just don't know the name. Yeah,、yet. she's she's so funny. Go watch、uh, all the Golden Chicken.、Movies. I also haven't seen her old films. I've only seen her more recent films. Yeah, her old、But. film is、uh, Ba Wanghua. Okay.、Uh, It's about the special duty unit in Hong Kong.、Right. Uh, I actually have friends who run the special duty unit in Hong Kong. They're Hong Kong cops. That's cool. Next time you go to Hong Kong, we hang out with them. Yeah,、uh, I would love that. I want to meet. That's that's the great thing. When I was living in Hong Kong, I lived there for two years after business school. That was the fun thing for me was to know the locals because I knew some locals from my time working in China in film production. Because most of the crew, at least the department heads, are all Cantonese,、yeah. and so I kept in touch with them, and that was the best part. Because most people who are not from Hong Kong, when they go there, they only know the expats, right? Or right. or the people that are living overseas, whether it's from China or from you know around the world. But to know like local Hong Kongers, it's the best because you、oh, just, yeah, you, really、you see the city in a different. I used、light. to go to Hong Kong. And stay with them in Kowloon Tong. Yeah, That's where the police units、yeah. are.、Uh, yeah, Kowloon Tong is a very interesting history. Non-normal people, and the best thing is the guy friend who I told you about. We will go to like the Wan Chai, like、uh, nightclubs. Yes,、yeah, because Wan Chai is known for that. We all know him.、Uh, it's so funny. Was see those dark-skinned Asian women. That- yeah. Work there. They're like, "Hi!" <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa, this is this is so fun." You don't see cops like that in China, right? So then,、uh, Sandra Wong was Sandra Ying is、uh, my favorite female, and then、mm. my favorite male is Stephen Chow. Like,、mm. my mom went took me to see Tang Bo Hu Dian Qiu Xiang. Do you know that one? Tang Bo Hu Dian Qiu Xiang. It's 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 like a period. Drama comedy,、hmm. um, and、uh, it was really good. I I think I laughed so hard the whole time. And later on, I watched it again many times after I learned Cantonese.、Hmm. It's actually even funnier. Oh yeah, 
to yeah. to understand Cantonese, right? And to watch. Yeah, it. yeah. But yeah, you get a different layer. The Cantonese language, I think. My mom took me there. It was dubbed in Chinese. So I just think the entertainment business in in Hong Kong overall is just much higher quality, even though they have a lower. A much smaller population. It probably it's the influence of all the, like the U.S. and the 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 British movies, and also yeah. there's a lot of there is freedom of speech, so they can say whatever they want. So that was really that was actually one of the factors I decided to go to school in the south, despite all my friends going to north. So you're a contrarian thinker through and through. Yeah. So, uh, so I, as you know, mentioned earlier, I grew up loving comedy and idolizing these comedy gods and goddesses. And and when I came to America, I I started watching the late night uh, mm-hmm. shows like Letterman and Conan. Yeah, yeah, and it's like very different kind of comedy. It's, it's yeah. Everything- region have their own flavor of comedy even even within china too different regions yep. have different way to make you laugh and mm-hmm. the most popular ones in china are mostly from northeast china right yeah anyway then when i came to america i'm like this is cool and then they have those monologues right mm-hmm. uh, so the monologues are basically stand-up comedy i haven't been to a comedy show until business school oh okay and i just my my impression of comedy is just is just late night talk shows oh also i when i was in undergrad i watched some of seinfeld and friends i thought friends at that time i thought friends is very was very funny I didn't really get Seinfeld, but after I lived in America, I sort of get it. It's a very American, uniquely yeah. American humor. Like Friends is yeah. very universal, right? Yeah. Very, very universal. It's, it's about just it. young people living together. But Seinfeld, you have to sort of live in America to appreciate it. Yeah. So it's also particularly New York, I think, and yeah, like a little York's bit, right. even like Jewish. There's a lot of Jewish influence, right? Like Jewish uh, culture. Yes. Yeah, because Jerry and Larry yeah. are both yeah. Jewish. Yeah. So when I came to business school, you remember the the club fair? Yeah. Before the semester, the first semester began. Yep. Um, they have like, oh, this is a finance club. This is the mm-hmm. wine club, whiskey club, Asian American club. And I saw a comedy club. I'm like, oh, comedy club. This is so this is cool. I think of yeah. all the clubs, this is fun. Yeah. And, and I thought it was just comedy, just people watching comedy. Watching, yeah. So I'm like, he's, so I met this guy named David Adelman. Mm. He is the club president. He's a year above us. And uh, I said, oh, this is fun. Like, I, I remember I talked to him for a little bit. He was sort of arrogant. He's a, <laughs> Jewish American who went to Harvard undergrad, so and he saw this Asian woman who had a Fabi accent and say she's interested in comedy. Like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just said to me point blank, he said, "I just don't think women are funny," which is not true, right? Was he trying to make a joke? 
He just, I don't know what he's trying to say. He just said, yeah. I don't think women are funny. Right. Then I said, oh, then you should watch me try to parallel park because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Great comeback. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so then I went to, I just signed up for it and I paid some money. Then I went to the, then I went to the, the first gathering and they were like, who's your favorite comedian? And everybody was saying some big names and stuff. And I was like, oh, I think I said, I think I said something like Conan. Uh-huh. Like very mainstream, right? Right. So, so then part of the, then part of the, and there were like only two girls in the entire gathering. They're all sure. white guys. Yeah. All white guys and a couple Indian guys. And then the first. That sounds like a setup for a joke right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the first club activity is to go to see a comedy show. That was actually my first real comedy show ever. Mm. We went to Helium Club and we saw Dave Attell. Mm. And I can tell you, because that was like 10 years ago, I didn't understand most of the things he said. Like, I understand the words, but laughing, I'm like, why are they laughing? Right. So then the club activity, the ongoing club activity was every, every week we will meet at, there's, what's his name of the bar? It's like 23rd and 23rd and Walnut, I believe. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's like that Irish kind of club, right? Yeah, yeah. So we would gather there every Monday night. Yeah, they had a back room. We would write jokes and we will tell each other the jokes and then we will we will just criticize. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, this sentence can be can it's funnier in a passive tense. It's things mm-hmm. like I remember I just started writing jokes and one of the guys gave me really good feedback. Mm-hmm. They were like, You're Asian female and it's actually we don't see people like you on stage. You should mm-hmm. use this as an advantage and talk and You were make- the Ali Wong before Ali Wong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they say you should be able to, you should be able to take advantage of the fact that you're different from everybody else. And uh, because people will want to know more about you. So you can write things Mm. around yourself, uh, your own experience versus some observation that you made on campus that Mm -hmm. anybody can tell the joke. You want to tell jokes that it's, it's, it can only be told by you now. So I started doing that and people find it like, oh, she's interesting. So we, we started doing comedy shows and organize these things and we will sell tickets. It's like, it's like comedy show and Follies are the most sought after tickets yeah. on campus because it's right. all sells out, right? Right. Uh, so we do uh, two shows per semester. And, and then the next year I became the club president mm. of the comedy club. And they, it, I was the first non-native speaker that <laughs> got this title. It was pretty cool. And I also changed because I, I took a class in OPIM operations. What did you do to the comedy club? Well, uh, how did I, you open in it? So I basically, I, they have like those management system and they were like over over ridge costs and under ridge costs and stuff. So 
also different uh, tiers of uh, ticketing. So mm-hmm. I actually built a model on how to sell tickets. And then we made way more money than previous guys because they, they undersold the tickets price. Wait, and, is it just you just raise the prices? That's that's you raise price, and not just that, we have tiers. So, ah, like if you ah. want to do front row seating, yeah, ticket is higher. Remember that, of course, yeah. If you want to sit next to Cambro or PBL, yeah, and the professors, we like yeah. raise even more. Oh, that's smart, yeah, yeah, okay, we, yeah. So, and people actually pay for that, that's amazing. Of course, we sell out all the time because yeah. I, I first thing about after my first initiative after this whole taking over the comedy club was that they actually the previous class they they spend a lot of the money they made in beach week renting a house so that's actually illegal so oh uh, is it yeah yeah and then the, the uh, we were in the in the red when i took over i'm like how the fuck we're in the red right so borrow emergency money from this uh the student association the, yeah yeah the the, yeah. the the club the overall yeah the, the club master or whatever yeah um, so the first thing i said is because we sell out we all the time we should increase the ticket price yeah and, uh, and then do different tiers of ticketing so eventually we made way more money than the 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 red not only we plugged the hole, but we made a lot more money. So yeah. performers, because I try to encourage people to to sign up to perform. So mm-hmm. girls, because Lululemon was very popular. I would say, yeah, we just, if you perform, we give you a Lululemon jacket. So that's how you got people, girls to sign up? Yeah, yeah. Because it's uh, sort of intimidating to... It uh, is super for, intimidating. Yeah, even for guys, for women, even more, right? Because you're trying to be funny, and the the most difficult thing is if you're telling jokes and nobody laughs for like a minute, you're gonna panic, and then even gonna, ten seconds, five yeah, seconds, you're gonna start to forget. Yeah. Next line and everything. Yeah. So it was it was a really fun experience for me. So then after graduation, I still go to a lot of comedy shows and because mm. it's just so fun. Yeah. And, and after that, I started performing in some of the open mic nights in San Francisco. That was all before COVID. I would say the what I take away from this whole experience is that one, it's a comedy, stand-up comedy is the most daunting public speaking experiences that you can have. If you can do stand-up comedy, you nail public speaking. Public speaking is nothing. Uh, And then the other thing is, like if you're a singer, you can sing other people's songs. But if you are a comedian, you have to tell your own jokes that you write. Um, So writing jokes has always been the most difficult part, in my opinion, for comedy. I think delivery is not too big of an issue for me. Mm. How, how to come up with things that people can laugh. It's also universal. You don't know who's sitting in your audience. Yeah. If you're Wharton, then you know, like if you say some jokes about a certain professor, everybody knows and they will all laugh. But if you are here in the city, how do you make sure most people laugh? Mm-hmm. You know who the audience are. You don't know their background. So that's very hard to do. 
So in the process, and I think in the past 10 plus years when I'm doing comedy, it made me more observant uh, to what's going on with people around me or like, like some current events. Like it's almost, it almost becomes a habit when you hear something, you just think, how am I going to make it funny? So yeah, it, it also makes your brain work more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one of those careers that as a comedian, you can be relevant for decades, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I think the most prominent example is Joan Rivers. She had a really choppy career. She's very, a real trailblazing talent. Mm-hmm. Her career has been up and down. And uh, she died in an accident, uh, like a medical accident. But when before she died, she was a host of a show named Fashion Police. Mm-hmm. I religiously yep. watched on E. Yep. That's the only I mean, thing. that was super. That's, I think that's probably what put E on the map, right? Maybe. I love the show. She's yeah. so good. So it's Friday and afternoon for one hour. I, I watched every episode and that was so popular and think about it she was in her 80s and she was as relevant as ever just Mm -hmm. because really funny and she's also keeping up with her her celebrity gossip because that's her claim of fame is she talk about celebrity right Uh, it sort of gives me an idea that because i think about career longevity a lot like how do you stay relevant how can you keep uh, yourself at peak of your game even decades after you first started something so I, that's why I have like the Tom Watson signed photo on my let me show you mm. yeah because ah. he, he had a really long career for a right. really good that's and, cool and sports is hard and you know our our friend Tang Yuan Yuan, YY. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has a really long career. She this is her 26 years with San Francisco Ballet. She's still yeah, that's crazy. So I think comedy is one of the careers that can enable you. You can do it if you want to. Yeah. You're good at it. It's there are still certain careers that you can't. Like right. Michael Phelps, right? Like yeah. once you reach a certain and age. he already did it for such a long time like yeah, yeah. Four, four olympics or something it's just the nature right. of the career but for comedy and possibly venture capital these are careers that can be really long lasting for sure i mean look at yeah the the, the best venture capitalists. it's like they get better and better with age how do you feel your experience in comedy has helped you in your job as a vc i think my reputation even in school i think at at the uh, graduation every cohort had uh this superlatives for people right Mm -hmm. i don't know what yours is like most hands i don't i don't think think, (laughs) i don't think our 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 cohort i don't think we we had that and mine is most likely to tell you the truth (laughs) accurate yeah because I, I like whenever we're having a class discussion, I just say whatever the hell is in my mind. And I think, right. I think people told me that they like to hear me talk. 
answer professors' questions and stuff. It's like me and Johnny Chen. They like to hear because. But I would say it's not. It's not necessarily that you're just talking to talk or to say whatever is on your mind. I think what's、uh, the value add is like there is some insight. Yeah, because because I think you、right. want to make people be able to think, right? Yeah. That's I think the the one thing I really like about comedy, stand-up comedy, because it's a tr- it's a art form that's truly American. Hmm. Right, it's 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 the only safe place that you can say your real opinion.、Mm. Like, forget about the Netflix comedy because Netflix comedy isn't real comedy. They're, they're in theaters, and a lot of the material have to go through something called standards and practices.、Mm-hmm. Right, but you want your comedy not filtered down. You want your comedy、mm-hmm. raw. I think the only comedy that I watched on Netflix that's real comedy is、mm. uh, called uh, "Bumping Mics." That's、okay. with Jeff Ross and Dave Attell. They're、okay. making fun of each other, calling out audiences. And I think one、right. thing, one thing they did really, I think, is a very touching moment was from that particular show. Is that there was a there was a guy who was a severe burn victim. He was a,、uh, and、uh, they basically roasted him on stage, which I think is a really nice thing to do. Because when、mm. when you are a burn victim, people sort of like, oh, I feel sorry for you,、Pity. and you know, thank you for your contribution to this country. But I feel sorry for you, and that's it. I think you there shouldn't be sacred cows because、mm. if you are a sacred cow, you're actually missing out a lot. Right. Oh, you're not a human anymore, really. Yeah. So they made fun of that guy、um, mm. on stage. I think he was probably having the best time of his life after the tragic accidents. Right.、Um, and that's what real comedy is. It's not、mm. the Netflix theater comedy. Right.、Um, oh. So coming back to your question, what has done for my work? I think if if well, you how do you use it? How do you do you, you have a reputation that you say whatever you want, and then this is your personal brand? I think、mm. people are more okay. You can get away with a lot of things、mm. um, in business because it's your reputation. Just like Joan Rivers, right? Like Joan Rivers don't apologize for for her jokes. She made fun of. Everybody, none. It, he, he doesn't matter your government official or some starlet. And she, I remember she made fun of Michelle Obama.、Mm. She said Michelle Obama looks like a tranny, and people were like, "You shouldn't say that. You should apologize for your joke." And he said, "Oh, look at her!" <laughs> It's because of Joan Rivers. You can. Get around, get away with that, right? But if you are another person, I don't think it's like they're gonna cancel you or something. Yeah. In today's、cancel. immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah. But because of that's her personal brand. Her brand. Yeah. Well,、so、my personal brand is always yeah. I I say whatever、uh, I think is I do whatever I think is right for the company. I don't care about this PC culture. I don't care about office politics. I just care、mm. about efficiency, 
mm. more revenue and mm-hmm. doing what's necessary. And also one of the interview questions or the, the thing that people want to know when interviewing candidates for a certain job post is that can if you are traveling together and you're stuck at the airport for four hours, can yep. you stand this person? Yep. And Likeability. I, if you have, at least if you, you can tell jokes, and you can make up jokes, it's a, not a bad thing to have from your companion that you're stuck in the airport with. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also another thing about this is that I think that the whole Ellen Powell movement, I think she had good intention, right? She sued Kleiner Perkins for gender discrimination. Yep. But the fact that she's an Asian woman, it actually makes people think twice for hiring more Asian women. Mm, you think so? I definitely think so. Just because if it's like a white guy or or a white woman, maybe not. But you don't think they see her as the exception? Because she's like quite outspoken. There are also very few Asian women that 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 are in the venture capital industry. Mm. They're getting more, but still yep. not. Especially cool. traditionally. It's more like now in this current generation, like in the last 10 years, maybe. Yeah. So traditionally, there's not there's so say, few right? of us, and then they realize that oh, if you hire an Asian woman, she can future in future sue you for race discrimin racial discrimination and gender discrimination, right? So it sort of put us in a different category. Like mm. this woman better be so good for mm. us to even consider hiring her, right? Right. So therefore, I think I. If I have a, a certain kind of personality, like, oh, she's actually dirtier than us, like, it it means she doesn't care about us telling like right. some bad jokes and stuff. Yeah. So it it makes it makes it easier for people like me to work in an industry that's dominated by men. I think this yeah. woke culture, this PC culture, is like put us on an unhireable category. Mm. So like, oh, we don't want any future lawsuit. Just don't get them in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are more approachable uh, to them, then it sort of opens the door a little bit. I, that's an interesting way that you put it. I, I, I agree with your sentiment. I, I would phrase it a little differently because I would say in what you just said now, that awareness of personal branding it's so important and you really embody that and you think about it strategically i think that's hard to do because you hear about personal branding you're like yeah of course but how do you build that and live that and be true to that like all the time and get that word out there i think because you have that personal brand a situation like that is more is is not as likely to happen to you. And it makes you also, like you were saying, more likable at the end of the day. And, but, and that, and that example with Ellen Powell, I think that's the thing. It's like how storytelling, how the media, how narratives, like they have such a powerful effect, both good and bad. Right. So when it has that potentially negative effect that you said, 
how do you counter that? And so, yeah, I think something, it's definitely something to think about. Uh, and it's definitely good that you're, that to talk about as well to, you know, because it's not a, it's not a, it's not an easy or a simple kind of scenario. Yeah, that's why I think for the Asian female community uh, in general, it's so great to have people like Ali Wong and Aquafina yeah. representing us on the big screen and small screen. But also a, a ton more, right? Because like you said, like they're so different. Every Everyone is so different. So there needs to be like, that's one of the things that I talk about instead of just like one and making that the shiny example, we need like thousands right? And to figure out what your platform is, what your voice is, what you can do to talk about yourself and not be afraid of that. Because yeah, I think traditionally there hasn't been that, but to your point about, you know, Asian females in the VC world now, and, and it's kind of like what even the example you gave when you were a kid and watching Son Dan Dan and the comedians, right? Like the female comedians that gave you uh, a template. You could see that. And now the next generation seeing folks like yourself and other VCs, like they can see that they can do that and they have, they can use whatever disadvantages to their advantage, if they can figure that out and then try to, like you said, find good investments, make a shit ton of money and <laughs> be efficient. Yeah. And even today when people see a female VC, They'd be like, oh, are you funding like organic tampon company? <laughs> really? You get that? Lululemon replica. But the fact is that Interesting. I, most of the deals that I funded are hard tech deals. Yeah. Hmm. Even in the stories, the other day, my husband wanted to us to buy a Lamborghini Urus. It's a Lamborghini SUV. Yeah. Why? There is because it looks really good. We have a few in our uh, garage downstairs, okay. and okay. they look really, really good. Okay, uh, I'm like over my dead. <laughs> like, how? Think about this. If he he and I walk out of the car at the same time, if you don't know us, what the hell are you gonna think about? And you're going to say, she's a gold digger. The mistress? As a matter of fact, I'm the gold. <laughs> she's a digger, right? <laughs> so it's just because I'm an Asian female. I can't. <laughs> there are a lot of things that it's normal for other people, but I'm more conscious about. That's why, that's why I say we have to normalize all this shit. Yeah. So the narrative, change that stereotype. <laughs> I'm like, good luck. Maybe your next wife will buy you. <laughs> <laughs> but my question is, do you want that car? I don't you, want if, it, okay? I, only that's right. I have luminar LiDAR and also automatic parking. So I don't Okay, have but if you, if you could have your luminar car and enabled car in the future, what would it what would it be in what kind of where would that technology reside would it be in a lamborghini or where would you put that technology for your own car the lidar yeah lidar in future will be a, a request a requirement a basic right. 
environment. Improved. Right. And so in the future, what car would you want to have? I want to have a made in China car. <laughs> F-A-W good, good answer. Truck. That's good what answer. I'm... Wait, what truck? F-A-W. It's, it's a truck made by Yiqi in Changchun. Oh. Uh, F-A-W is the biggest truck maker in the world. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I look a lot more like a truck person, right? Because because it's like more indestructible than a small car, like a smart car or like a... Oh, I Audi definitely don't like the smart cars. Yeah. Audi TT. Andrew DeBerry drives an Audi TT. I can't believe it. I never liked those cars. Yeah. I like a big car because chances are I'm going to get into an accident. And then if... You're going to have your LiDAR. What accident no. are you going to get into? <laughs> If I get into an accident, at least I will be intact. <laughs> That's why my car will be the most sturdy car. Hopefully with a, with a bulletproof glass to counter the higher, ever-increasing petty crime rate. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Well... Shall we wrap it up here? Is there any recommendations you have? Any recent films, TV shows, books, podcasts that you've read? Oh, you've- TV show. I recommend my favorite, most addictive TV show is called Blown Away on Netflix. Okay. Um, it's a reality competition about glass blowers. Oh. It's fascinating. Cool. That's- I didn't know about glass blowing until my good friend took me to Seattle glass blowing workshop and I made a, a bowl. It's actually really, really good experience. So it's, Do you uh, use the bowl or is it art? Yeah, let me show you my bowl. Hold on. Yeah, please. So this is a bowl that I made in the oh yeah in the cool. last workshop. What do you currently use it for? Just my <laughs> like jewelry? my business card. I don't really wear jewelry anymore. Okay, like, yeah. All Marie Kondo <laughs> away. Okay, but you still use people still have business cards. Uh, I I use it for to get like my earplugs so I don't lose it. Yeah. And uh, credit card. That's cool. Yeah. So I recommend Blown Away. They've yeah. uh, shown two seasons, and the winner, I think the prize of the winner is like some money plus have their own exhibition in the uh, Corning Museum of Glass in New York State. Like um, it's amazing. It's You can see the way they make the glasses at the beginning because you only know what it looks like after it's been sitting in cooler for for like 48 hours Mm because you can see the color because when it's hot and it's every episode they give you a a theme they say oh this this theme this uh, episode's theme is nature or this is like a life experience or it's like really good that that's like a, a very very high form of art in my yep. so that's my favorite tv show oh cool blown away 
And the book I recommend is is called The Weirdest People in the World.、Mm. That I'm currently reading the we weird. The word weird stands for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. It basically says a lot of the statistics about behavior economics and stuff. They're all by Western college kids. Yep. Yeah, that's not. That's not really the normal. That's not normal. Yeah, and also the way our brain works is that over time, as as people become more literate, literacy is only a thing in the past five hundred years or so. People,、yeah. most people in the world before then were illiterate. Right. And、uh, Martin Luther, they, he had a religious reform, and after that, people started becoming illiterate. Because they wanted to read Bible, and as you become more literate, some features of the brain will disappear to or will diminish to compensate、mm. for the fact that you need to memorize a lot of the things that you look on paper. So one of the features that diminishes is the your ability to do facial recognition with your eyes. So you're you're a lot worse. Uh, at recognizing faces than before because you're more literate. So I'm still going through the book, but I, it's fairly fascinating. Cool, great. Well,、and、thank you for another the recommendations. Person, another person I want to recommend you on the show is my friend Tan Yuan Yuan. Yeah, I've already reached out to her. I need to reach out to her to set the time to have her as a guest on my show. Yeah, she has a fascinating life story. It、really、is amazing. Yeah. She's the、uh, second youngest person of committee of one hundred. The youngest,、mm-hmm. Stephen Chen from、mm-hmm. Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. She's a she's a personal friend and a personal idol. Her mom makes really good food. So next time you come. <laughs> oh yes. Go to her yes, home. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll do a gathering. All right, Amy. Well, thank you for being on the show. Good luck with everything. Safe travels. I can't wait to hear about your next investment. Thank you for inviting. Yeah, I, I gave my、uh, virgin show to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's worth it. All right. Yeah. Until next time. All right, I'm going to end this now. See you guys. Bye. Bye. And that wraps it up for episode eight of. The Linsider. Thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Take care and stay healthy.